0: Everyone, and welcome to Chat AF, the Anime Feminist podcast. My name's Amelia, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Anime Feminist, and I'm joined here today by Dee Hogan and Peter Phobian to talk about the end of the winter 2018 season. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves.
1: Sure. I'm uh, Peter Phobian, I'm an Associate Features Editor at Crunchyroll, and a contributor and editor at Anime Feminist.
2: Hi, I'm Dee Hogan, the Managing Editor at Anifem. I also run the anime blog, The Jose Next Door, and you can find
0: me on Twitter, at Jose Next Door. So we are now at the end of the 2018 winter season. We did premiere reviews way back. We did a three-episode check-in roundtable that, thank you D. you trimmed like 2,000 words off that monster. Um, we did a mid-season check-in podcast and now we're here at the end to just kind of look back and see if anything has changed uh, since we last looked at them, if there's anything we want to to your attention if there's anything we particularly want to recommend that we might not have expected earlier on in the season so we're going to go through as we usually do starting at the bottom (laughs) not the bottom necessarily but the least likely to be enjoyable by a feminist viewer uh categories starting with let's see i don't think anyone was watching anything from anime was a mistake or pit of shame no but in red flags i certainly watched after the rain and D, you watched After the Rain to a point and wrote an article about it? Yes, I did. And you said that it was, <laughs> it didn't really change your impressions in that time?
2: No, yeah, I kept watching it and it kept pretty much doing. Every time it looked like it was maybe going to become a story that was actually about Akita and what she was going through, it would immediately slide back into lengthy condo monologues and look how pretty and, and glossy and perfect she is. And I just got tired and so I stopped watching once I didn't have to watch it for uh critical purposes
0: anymore well I watched the finale about half an hour ago Mm -hmm. and I think it does change because the romance becomes much less of a focus and it becomes much more about their individual situations um I kind of found this less interesting (laughs) because they'd spent like six episodes building up this like it, it was a Difficult story to watch in some ways For us certainly we talked constantly We critiqued it quite mercilessly I think um, and then it just Kind of lets it fall by the wayside And then Kondo spending more time with his University friend who is Now a novelist and Akira Spending more time with her track and field Friend Haruka was that her name Maybe. Um, Very memorable Character um, and As a result they don't spend as much Time together and when they do it's Just in this odd kind of non-friendship like they're not they're not really friends they they have a whole episode where they discuss this and they make a point of the fact that it's kind of weird to call themselves friends is kind of clinging to it because it suggests more intimacy than just co-workers but it's not really where they're at and maybe by the end of the series you could say that but it's more exactly as you you would predict is that they they enrich each other's lives for being in them. But that's not what the first six episodes were about. So it's really, I don't know, it felt jarring to me to just drop that entirely and not actually go back to it at all. So, yeah, readers, if you have, or listeners, listeners, if you have different views, please do let me know. But I saw the the final episode and really wasn't that interested, I think. So I think the first six episodes were actually more interesting for all they were, like, a little bit more... uh, provocative I suppose a little bit more challenging um it was still more interesting to me than what we ended up with which was a bit dull that was my view of it anyway moving on then yellow flags darling in the franks d is definitely not watching this no I am not you're watching it like via our sarcastic commentary and screenshot sharing
2: yeah, exactly. Which has been the <laughs> optimal way to watch Darling in the Franks. I have no
0: regrets. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a few regrets, most notably that I stood up quite hard for this one and was like, no, it could be different. It could subvert. It has to subvert. Why would it be so obvious about the analogy it's making between piloting giant robots and sex if it's not going to subvert it? It doesn't subvert it. Then you watch Kill a Kill yeah.
1: and you, <laughs> <laughs> you realize what's up.
0: I realized what's up. Yeah, Yeah. I watched Kill the Kill and everything changed for the worse. Um, It was, yeah, Darling in the Franks does not do any of the things I hoped it would do. Peter, you have a pretty similar view.
1: Yeah, I think Darling in the Franks kind of gives a different impression because it seems like the characters are actively trying to fight the premise. It's very heteronormative, but you get these characters who don't really like the circumstances that they're in and like especially with the last episode where uh, you get some like pretty strong gay coding out of two characters um, and like this this sort of objection to this pairing system that they have. But at the end of the day, it's always like they return to the status quo. So yeah. you feel like they're trying to break out, but and it would be very interesting if there was this system and they were, going to break out of it but after 12 episodes of them just <laughs> being forced back into this this um this system that they're in uh you're i think it's hard to argue that <laughs> that's going to change now
0: yeah there are still people holding out hope i think but i i think i gave up on that somewhere around episode five four or five where i just was like no this isn't going where i hoped it would go mm-hmm. and yeah after 12 episodes it seems like if they do do anything with it now it will just be cheap twist it won't actually be saying anything
1: yeah well the next twist looks like the the new student council kids in the the different outfits coming in and probably messing stuff up so that doesn't really speak to uh taking a deeper dive into like their the relationships between the current pilots it's probably going to be a conflict between these outsiders and uh the the parasites that we know so i think that's what's going to happen probably
0: i have to say though i am really enjoying it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I yeah. kind of hate that I'm enjoying it so much, but I really look forward to it every week and I am watching it. And there's something about it that is compelling to me, but not because of any kind of feminist relevance. I think I'm just enjoying the show.
1: Yeah, I think the the characters are good and the fights are good. Uh, so, mm-hmm. And it's very visually attractive. Uh, so yeah. uh, all of those things, I think, allow me to keep watching it. Um, latest...
0: It's so frustrating, though, how close they come to a subversion or a critique, and then they just walk away and completely establish the status quo again.
1: Yeah, it feels intentional.
0: <sighs> it really does. So there are there are moments like that, but I am still watching, and I'm going to watch the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, I'm not too crazy about the latest developments with uh, Zero Two, since they had that. One of the things that, like, one of my objections to the series now is that even the stuff that it's obviously trying to do, it, it just doesn't make sense, really. Zero Two had that whole episode where she gets involved in that fight between the, the boys and the girls uh, because she kind of wants to, I guess, become more uh, human and a part of the group and uh, seems to find success there and kind of has a turning point where she seems happier. And then in the last few episodes, she's been getting more and more angry at uh, we don't even know what really. And she's not talking to Hiro. And uh, so the exact opposite of what she accomplished previously is happening now with no precipitating incident that would drive that, uh, which is confusing.
0: We'll see how the next 12 episodes go, I guess. Yep. Um, Ms. Koizumi loves ramen noodles. Mm -hmm. You're watching this one, Peter. You've watched it to the end.
1: Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, So uh, we actually have an article coming down the pipe about this show. Um, Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah uh and uh i guess i won't get too into it since you can read the article which is very good um basically it's a pretty fun show i guess it's kind of one of those status quo shows where almost exactly the same thing happens every episode i think episode seven was kind of the standout for me since they messed with the formula a little bit and did some fun stuff but mostly it's just kind of watching miss koizumi eat ramen and people being really weird around her the big kind of issue with the series is that uh, you, um, the kind of most of the time, the perspective character of the series is just uh, obviously a stalker. And in fact, in the second half of the series, they make a joke where she's like in her room and there's pictures of Koizumi plastered all over her walls. And she has like a, like logs that she keeps of all of Koizumi's activities that she's writing in.
2: Oh yeah.
1: And she caresses the picture and says, she belongs to me and that kind of stuff. Uh,
2: That's creepy.
1: Yeah. So that's not, Great. Um,
0: <laughs> That's not great.
1: Yeah. Uh, that and they, like, really kind of sexualize them eating ramen a lot of the time. They get, like, a blush. Uh, they kind of let out um, a very suggestive um, gasp after they finish their bowl. And uh, it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do. So I wondered if they would do, uh, like, episode three, I think it was, uh, Yu has this moment where she kind of connects with Koizumi uh, slightly. Uh, like Koizumi collapses because she hasn't eaten enough ramen or something. Uh, so you drags her back to her house and ends up cooking her like eight different kinds of ramen that recipes that she made up. And they kind of have like a moment where Koizumi like respects her as a ramen cook or something like that. Um, but then it just goes right back to you stalking her again. So nothing happens. Awesome. And the status quo is maintained all 12 episodes.
0: Excellent character development there. Yep. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, next category, Harmless Fun. We've got quite a few in this category that we ended up watching, I think. So, Hakame and Mikochi, and D, I think you said you're not quite caught up, but almost, and really enjoying it. Yeah, I, so
2: I caught the first three early on in the season liked it, but just I had a lot of other shows on my plate. And then some mm. of those shows dropped off because they ended up being kind of disappointing or I just lost interest. Um, and I, first of all, the Annie Femme uh, Discord and then a friend of mine as well were talking about how much they were enjoying it. And I was like, okay, well, I, had, I hadn't I had officially dropped it, so I'll go back and check it out again. Um, it's really very, very nice. Um, it is just a sweet show about these two um, young women. I mean, they're they're like, forest fairies so they're like you know an inch tall or something but they are adults um and they and it's just kind of about their day-to-day life in this forest with these uh it's got a fairy tale quality so like you know talking animals and other little uh sprites and things like that um and it's a lot of it is about sort of their career paths um one of them is a works with like a mechanic uh not mechanic exactly um like repair repair person company um, and so it's partly about like, her journey towards you know, getting, getting better at that. The other one uh, sort of like, makes her own crafts at home, and it's, it's just nice. It's developed into the—there's a very charming, uh, broader cast. Their relationship with each other is really sweet. There's a little bit of heteronormativity in it, in that there will be times when like there's, this, there's one episode where a character uh, thinks Hakume is a boy and makes some comment about Mikochi being Hakume's wife. And which they are definitely a couple. Uh, But (laughs) Hakume's response to that is like, you do know I'm a woman, right? And so it's like that. That was really the only thing in it that made me kind of. But otherwise, it's been very pleasant. um, And and it's nice. It's like it's like drinking a cup of tea before bed. And I say that with as a sincere compliment.
0: It's very relaxing. And speaking of which, how to keep a mummy
2: also an adorable very nice show
0: yeah um i'm the only one who's seen that all the way through huh i you you are but i feel like i should note i started watching it last week you've been recommending this for what three months now solidly and i finally watched an episode last week and i absolutely loved it it is adorable And I do intend to get through it because I think it's going to be a show that I go back to just when like I want to watch something that's not not actually thought provoking, not actually challenging, just something quite relaxing. And that is the perfect show for that.
2: Yeah, it's it's really adorable. It's mostly about taking care of cute pets. Um, the second half does get into some more kind of complicated character development uh, stuff, especially with the two main boys. They both are kind of prone to sort of taking on everything by themselves, um, but the other one doesn't want them to do that. So there's um, some nice themes about like you know community and being open and honest about your feelings with each other. Um, and yeah, it's it was a sweet, nice show. I, I'm looking forward to keeping up with it in the manga form. When's that coming out? Well, it's um, it's all on Crunchyroll, at least in the US. I don't know how the Crunchyroll oh. manga app works, but yeah, How to Keep a Mummy's on there. So I will, I will check just pick out. it up there now that I've watched the anime and kind of fallen in love with these adorable characters.
0: It doesn't take long. I, I watched mm-hmm. about three minutes of an episode and was in love with these characters. Yeah. So. And I'm not easily won over by cuteness. I usually have quite a knee-jerk response away from it. So this was, yeah, a bit of a triumph of a show, I think idolish seven i just want to touch on briefly because i don't think any of us watched it Mm -mm. but i'm quite conscious that anafm in general doesn't cover idol shows perhaps as much as they merit given the massive viewership that it has in japan at least and certainly like on my timeline on twitter i do see a lot of people talking about idolish seven at the moment and other shows and previously i even i recently i downloaded the mobile game um Utano Prince Summer Shining Live <laughs> because my friend actually works at the the company in Japan that makes it and um, yeah I downloaded it recently and I'm really getting into it I'm really enjoying it so that makes me want to watch this stuff a bit more um, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm conscious that it's a bit of a gap at the moment and Idolish 7 hasn't actually reached the end of its series yet so I'm going to make a point to catch up and then we can talk about it in the spring podcast perhaps and just kind of come back to it then. Once I've actually had a chance to go through it all. Sure. Sounds good. Um, Pop Team Epic. Am I the only one watching that? Yeah, I found it a little too exhausting. Well, this is so weird. And I think I said this in previous podcast, so I won't belabor the point. But I don't, I'm not normally, I don't normally find this kind of show appealing. I don't normally find absurdist humor appealing. I don't normally find this kind of episodic kind of formula appealing at all. I like kind of linear storytelling, I like it to be a bit more kind of grounded humor, a bit more character based, and that's not what Pop Team Epic is at all. But I found it a really, bizarrely, I found it like a really good palate cleanser. When I watched a show that I wasn't that into, um, <laughs> Kill the Kill, for example. While I was watching that, I'd use Pop Team Epic episodes between Kill the Kill episodes to kind of <laughs> like reset myself a little bit. And I I've never experienced that before with a show like this. But there really isn't another show like this at the moment. Um, it uses so many different media, like puppetry and like different kinds of animation. Hellshiano, yeah, Yano. yeah, that kind of um. Uh, sketchbook flip chart kind of performance I've actually got a friend here in London who does that and so as soon as I saw it I was like I have to share this with my friend and I think that's something that's quite unusual about pop team epic is it's so weird that if you've got friends who are into kind of weirder humor even like western slightly offbeat stuff they might actually get a kick out of pop team epic It is something that potentially I would share with people who I know have that kind of humor already. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any higher a barrier to entry to Pop Team Epic than there would be to comparable Western shows. So I've been really enjoying it and I would definitely recommend it to people who I might not normally recommend anime to. I would say. And we do have an article on the site about it at the moment. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, it's going to stay there, don't worry. So please do read that article about how female leads in comedy are not usually allowed to be like the female leads in Pop Team Epic.
2: Yeah, I I wish Pop Team Epic nothing but the best and I respect what it's doing. (laughs) I genuinely do, but
0: I just I just it's just not for me. Tim. I totally thought I was going to be saying that though And it's so strange to me that I'm not This season has just turned me upside down It's uh, things that I expected To not be into at all I've really enjoyed So I'm going to have to address my biases A little bit going forward I think mm-hmm. um, School Babysitters Am I the only one watching that one too? Yeah I dropped after the second episode I, That's kind of fair <laughs> um, I did enjoy School Babysitters I have recommended it huge caveat is that there is a comedy pedophile character and he doesn't just show up once, he shows up a few times and every single time I just want to oh it's horrendous he's like the Minotaur of the series it's just, if you removed him entirely everything would be improved, there would be nothing lost and they yeah, it's unfortunate and school babysitters in general does spread itself a bit too thin amongst its supporting cast it's got quite a large supporting cast by the end of it However, I do appreciate the fact that that supporting cast includes a lot of working women. Um, It includes Yuichi's uh, female classmates who I actually really enjoyed. I liked both of them. Um, And they're quite different character types. And it's quite a diverse group of people. Um, And in terms of character types, by the way, not in terms of any kind of ethnic diversity whatsoever. So don't get your hopes up. and it's, it's just one that I really enjoyed watching week to week, but there are very, very good reasons to drop it. Very good reasons to drop it. As soon as you have a character on screen who is sexualizing small children, like, that's a that's a really good deal breaker. I completely support that. Mm-hmm. Am I still the only one watching Citrus?
1: <laughs> I finished it.
0: Oh, you this did, whole Peter? section. Yeah. Peter finished it. Doing Great. So, Amelia. You can talk about it instead it's of me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I feel like we've basically talked about all the issues that Citrus had in the mid-season. Those just sort of maintain. Uh, they, uh, they, you know how they have. Whole, I guess we were at episode six then, so they had the first consensual kiss, uh, which oh, crazy. Yes. Um, but <laughs> yeah, they kind of the fall back into more non-consensual stuff after this weird like uh, schism they have. Then it just becomes. I kind of guess a more formulaic romance where there's constantly a new competitor randomly coming into the scene who wants one character or the other, and then the other character has to fight for them, but then for some reason they don't get together again afterward anyway. Just like all the most frustrating parts about <laughs> any type of uh, school romance series, I guess. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, I don't know if we were at Matsuri yet. No, we weren't. She's pretty problematic too. Yeah,
0: she's a difficult character.
1: Out of all the characters, I'd say she's the one who's like inten- like like committing sexual assault on purpose uh, with mm-hmm. with the other characters, it's kind of like something that happens or something they do because they're emotional uh, with her. It seems very calculated.
0: Yeah. And I, I think we need to define what you mean by on purpose, because I, I know exactly what you mean. But yeah, it's where the other characters, they are perhaps following scripts that they think are acceptable that aren't actually. Matsuri knows that what she's doing is unacceptable. She yeah. uses it for blackmail. She is absolutely aware that she's crossing lines and that it's not okay. Mm-hmm. And she does it with very manipulative, malicious intentions. And she's younger than both of them which just makes it worse. So I, f- I found Matsuri really difficult. Um, but I actually ended up shipping Yuzu and Mei a little bit, which I'm not proud of, but that is the design of the show it does want you to feel that way about them and I did end up supporting them a little bit and rooting for them so probably wouldn't uh, I probably wouldn't recommend this to anyone but if anyone else is still watching it and has had that same response please let me know so I don't feel so alone (laughs) okay yep (laughs) I think that's it for (laughs) I think that's it for all the ones that we kind of watch but aren't like necessarily feminist heavyweight shall we say Moving on, though, Record of Grand Crest War in the feminist potential category. Now, I was really excited about this one at the very beginning. Me too. I really thought it was going to be a show for me. And then we all dropped it at around the same time without really talking about it with each other. What happened there? I'm going to say it was my, I think it was my biggest
2: disappointment of the season was Grand Crest War. Yeah, Um, Me too. Especially given that Hatakayama was directing, and I really think he did the best he could with very subpar material, um, which I think we can get into a little bit as to the exact reason I dropped. So I dropped for two reasons. Um, one, which I think uh, Peter, you'll probably also agree with me on, um, it just it just kept barreling through. I kept thinking the story was gonna like slow down and become like more character driven, and it never did. It kept feeling like it wanted to. There would be these bursts of really nice relationship moments or uh, character beats or what have you. I liked there was a flashback episode with the prince and the princess that I liked quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, and then it spun around the next week and was back on its bullshit. Just <laughs> just pitched battle campaign, <laughs> barreling through it. Um, these, these tiny moments of... These tiny, again, really good character moments that didn't really feel earned because we got rushed through them so quickly. So I had basically dropped it shortly after the flashback episode because I realized that I wanted it to be a show that it wasn't going to be. And the female characters kept getting more and more kind of sidelined, which I did not like because Ooh. the thing I liked so much about the early episodes was how cool the female characters were. And then, right when I had pretty much decided I was going to drop it anyway, there's this weird, uncomfortable plot beat where the uh, the princess character, whose name I cannot remember, Marian. Um, basically, like prostitutes herself to get a um alliance with one of the guys on the other team does the that? Is it, am i describing that correctly peter
1: uh yeah it's that uh that like he's kind of like a middle eastern prince who uh is like a really good soldier
2: i thought he was really interesting and then they made the brown guy a bad guy and i was like why that know why well, <laughs> And it was, the thing about it was wh- that scene is about as well done as you can he- possibly do that scene. Yeah. Um, it's very respectfully handled. It focuses on her, and it's super-duper uncomfortable. Um, and I think intentionally so. I think, like, you're supposed to feel like, oh, this is, this is a thing she super doesn't want to do, but she's doing it, like, for the cause, basically. Um, and it's... Again, it's about as well done as, as far as, like, directing and staging goes as you can possibly do it. But as a narrative point, it doesn't need to be there. It, I don't – I did not get the purpose of it. So – and it was very unpleasant. And I was just done.
0: What was your reason for dropping it,
2: Peter?
1: Uh, pretty much the same thing. I, I think kind of expanding on that particular scene because I, I quit that, that episode, actually. Um, I don't – I feel one of the like results of it being so rushed is you don't really ever have a good uh, kind of comprehension of what's going on. That's the problem with the show. It's like it seems like it's all this rushed expository information that's leading towards something, but I guess the show is actually just rushed expository uh, events, uh, and that's the entire plot. But it doesn't even meet its own objective in sort of describing the situation of this world to you because that was right after the back the flashback episode with her mm-hmm. and the prince, uh, who you discovered actually genuinely loved each other, um, yeah. but their marriage was broken up by that event in the first episode where both their fathers were killed. But that doesn't suitably explain why the marriage was called off. Uh, you assume there's some sort of political machinations at play that would— make them getting back together a bad idea for some reason but uh, there's never any good reason given for why they can't just get married and actually create an alliance that would stop all war on the continent forever
2: oh i sorry can i pop in real quick
1: yeah, if you have an explanation, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, the, sense okay. I,
2: the sense I got was the, the princess broke off, again, I, I don't remember people's names, the princess broke off the engagement because every time she kind of talks about it, she thinks back to their fathers being killed by this unknown evil and how something something did not want them to be together. So the sense I got was that she was trying to keep him safe, that she was worried that if they went through with the engagement or if they allied, that whatever was trying to keep them apart would come back and kill him or her. Um, And so she was trying to protect him by uh, creating a distance between the two of them.
1: I feel like that's obvious because by them getting married, they would create the grand sigil that would seal off chaos forever or whatever. So obviously chaos doesn't want that, and that's why it attacked. Um, And so instead, she's uh, perpetuating a war that will keep mankind unable. Like, since they're killing each other, they won't be able to fight the forces of chaos. And in all likelihood, if she wins, she would have to kill the prince herself. So I, like, I don't see how this her strategy is doing anything but not only accomplishing the same result of him getting killed, but also potentially everybody in the world. Like I, <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. I mean, I don't agree with her reasoning, but that was I, – I just – as far as, like, what the reason was, that was just saying that's what I think. That's what I think was going through her head there.
1: And I, I get that it's really trying to frame her as, like, kind of uh, uh, an ambitious and a woman who is, like, driven by uh, her goals and is willing to do very evil things to accomplish them, but, like, to, to make her sympathetic. But the way that it's rushing through all this information, like, I can't – like, I felt this the scene – if it had given us more time with Marin, probably would have been more impactful. But since it mm-hmm. just blows through stuff so quickly, yeah. I haven't really been able to, like, find her to be a sympathetic character. And it just comes across as really gross. And then yeah. she, like, goes and kills, like, a bunch of people with chemical weapons right afterward. It's, the whole oh, thing God, is— Oh, God, I
2: forgot about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's so, like, I don't know what's going on. And I think in the same yeah. episode, like, the two main characters kiss. <laughs> it's really yeah. sweet. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they get together and i was like i should really be into this moment and i'm i'm not because you just you just rushed to it too too quickly i never yeah so it's it's unfortunate
1: yeah it's all over that the place a shame.
0: yeah i think i just it felt it started feeling like a chore to go back to it mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it started feeling like a lot of work and i i couldn't remember the details because the the way i tend to watch anime through the season is i tend to catch up in kind of 3-4 week chunks at a time And by the time a month's gone by in Grandcrest, it was just too much. I couldn't. I couldn't remember what had happened because they were introducing new people all the time and it was quite uh, detailed politically and there were kind of new abilities popping up. Like there was that whole episode with like a vampire queen or something. Mm-hmm. And like it felt like it was going to be an arc done on an episode. I was like, oh, well, and it was done. Me, bye. <sighs> exactly. So it it just got to a point where it started feeling like I'd have to rewatch previous episodes to try and remember where I've been so I could suitably appreciate forward going episodes and it just wasn't worth it so dropped um so i think we can safely say that that of this category that is the one that least fulfilled its feminist potential yeah at least fulfilled any kind of potential truthfully which is <laughs> yeah. which is very disappointing so on a non-disappointing note i know i'm the only one watching violet evergarden it is streaming in the uk um i've really enjoyed violet evergarden actually and i it has got better I think initially I was not as into it. I thought it was beautiful and I was watching it weekly and it wasn't an issue, but I didn't really get into it. But I think the series is doing quite well, and I'm going to keep this as spoiler free as possible, but I think the series is doing quite well at treating Violet's emotions seriously, which I do appreciate because it's taking on a more episodic format. Um, which I understand is the structure that the light novels follow where Violet travels around for her job and so she goes somewhere, she interacts with a new a new person, new group of people, new situations and then the next week she goes on somewhere else. But there is this through line of Violet herself who, who was a child soldier kind of learning to come to terms with her own past and learning to reconnect with herself and her emotions and I think it's handling it well. I think it's handling it sensitively and I'm really enjoying where it's going. So I, I know you guys are getting it soon. It's I got hope. a release date now on Netflix in the US. I, I think, think on the
1: fifth. Yeah. Oh,
0: cool. Is yes. it? Is yeah. it just one core?
1: Yeah, it's twelve episodes, I believe.
0: And it hasn't finished yet because I think it started a little late. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I've yeah I've really enjoyed what I've seen so far, which is everything that's been released in the UK so far. Absolutely, I would be recommending this. Um, I, I really want to talk about it in more detail, but I can't just yet. So maybe once once you're all caught up we can talk about it in spring perhaps or in a separate episode if it merits it. We'll come back to it. Laid back camp is the final one of this category. I think you've both watched it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I haven't, and it's not because I don't want to. I think I initially it was. Initially it would, it just seemed like cute girls doing cute things, etc. But you you've all been praising it week after week. I like like How to Keep a Mummy, actually. And I eventually started watching an episode and I got as far as a theme tune and I was just absolutely delighted by the theme tune, which is really like Jackson 5 style. And I instantly mm-hmm. went back to the group chat and said, why did nobody tell me it has a Jackson 5 style theme tune? And Dee was outraged because there's a whole I line totally in told your you review, that. which like specifically calls out it's great theme tune and it's Jackson 5 style. So I do apologize, Dee. I'm um, absolutely... <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> i absolutely intend to watch it based on what you've told me but for for anyone else who who hasn't been able to witness your week by week enthusiasm for it what would you what would you say about it at this point now it's reached the end of its its season
2: it's so good it's just so good and i love it okay. so much it is That's a good starting point it is i think it is what the again the quote unquote cute anything, cute girl, cute person, cute pet, whatever genre mm-hmm. can be, which is to be a feel good, you know, sort of healing, relaxing comedy that people can tune in every week and just enjoy without having to worry about the camera getting skeevy or the characters being, you know, treated like they're five. It's it's just a really nice story about these uh, very fun, kind of different uh, female friendships Um, It does a good job of balancing a character who kind of likes to spend time by herself with these other characters who are a little more community focused and it respects both those decisions and kind of shows the value of both like that you can go camping by yourself and have a great time and it's not that she's like secretly miserable she's good but you can also but then you can also you know there's a different experience and a different fun to be had by going out and camping with your friends. It's just it's just really good. I think it's the show I looked forward to the most every week. Um, it was not the best show of the season, but I think it was the one I most looked forward to.
0: So I, I just want to ask a question on that note mm-hmm. because we're we're going to be talking about a place further than the universe, which you know, spoilers. This was hands down the team NFM favorite yeah. of the season. Um, and that is our strongest recommendation. We've talked about this all over the place, but you've you've compared the two before, and so just putting the two side by side in terms of how they present young women, how they present their friendships, like does Lake back camp do similar kinds of things to a place further than the universe Yeah. or does it approach things in a different way?
2: I would say yes and no. I think place further is, I think the biggest strength of place for place further is that it's really realistic. It is, it is, very grounded, I think, um, in, I mean, it's, it's, it's very like kind of emotionally hard on its sleeve for sure. Um, But I think it, I think it does a good job of balancing kind of like the difficulties of, of, you know, being a a teenage girl and, and then these kind of like, you know, uh, silly or exciting moments of like going on an adventure with your friends for the first time and things like that. Um, Laidback Camp does the same thing, but the tone is not as geared towards realism as a place further is, is the way I would describe it. Um, it's a comedy. It's So the characters are a little bit more broadly defined. Um, the the jokes are a little bit sillier, a little bit more absurd here and there. I think they're doing similar things, but, again, they exist in in slightly different genres. So they're doing them in different ways is how I would describe it. How about you, Peter? You've
0: seen both.
1: Yeah, I do think it definitely has the kind of um, different characters have different ways of resolving conflicts or different types of personalities that might not gel um, all the time um, but they find ways around it like one of the dynamics that's the most noticeable and in, in laid back camp I think is uh, Chiaki and Rin I think uh, Rin basically admits well to herself, she doesn't really say it to anybody else that she doesn't like Chiaki because Chiaki kind of likes to tease people and that in no way is that ever framed as like uh, necessarily a bad thing um, it's just something that I don't think Rin likes in a, a person okay. that she hangs out with so when she – and they hang out. Uh, I mean, they end up going on that camping trip together, and it's fine. Uh, Spoiler they along. alert. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's, it's, in, it's in the first episode. Yeah. You're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's kind of like in addition to her liking solitude, I think that's one of the reasons she didn't join Out Club uh, was just because she um, – maybe too much exposure to that kind of stuff would stress her out. Um, but for just a single outing, that's fine. Um, so in like a more casual – Uh, Just kind of like, like everyday social dynamic sense. I feel like it has some of those same elements as A Place for the Universe, uh, just not without like the big character moments and drama. Um, Everyone has like kind of a very, I think, a defined way of acting and approaching other people in laid back camp at, at just as with A Place for the Universe.
2: Yeah, And they're both okay. shows, like and Mikochi. and Mikoshi, I may write an article about this, so uh, I guess maybe look Please. forward to that in the future. Um, <laughs> all three of them I think are very good about, there's like some cuteness and some goofiness to them that you might see in like a typical sort of cute girl show. But there's also this really nice focus on like self-reliance and independence, and I really appreciate that. Because like Rin going off on her own is depicted as a positive it's like, oh, look at her. You know, she's she's independent and she just she plans these trips on her own and the girls are all kind of planning these camping trips on their own and going out together, and I, I like that a lot. I, I like that element of, you know, encouraging these young women to be self-reliant and go have adventures and all that good stuff.
1: It was the same with uh, Girls' Last Tour, yeah.
2: Well, Girls' Last Tour was also apocalyptic, so it was a little different, but...
1: <laughs> I've heard it described as slice of life and the girls are very uh, the, the kind of survivalists.
2: That is true, though. Yeah, it's again, very very different uh, setting and tone, but um, yeah, a similar kind of thing where they look like they're gonna be the cutesy blobs and then there's there's a lot more to it than that. This has been quite a
0: good season for cuteness handled in what I consider to be a more palatable way. It's been wonderful. Going into the feminist themes category. And again, I, said I've, I have a real knee-jerk aversion to cuteness. So I've been quite surprised at the cute shows I've ended up recommending to everyone. Um, Sanrio boys is absolutely one of those
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I think we' were all a bit taken aback by Sanrio boys initially yeah. because it's 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 a toy advert it's it's designed to sell toys and it's not just toys it's Hello Kitty and pals which would we would not expect to be discussing kind of feminist themes in a show selling Hello Kitty but I think it's been quite consistent in actually doing interesting things on that level now there's a there's a big Jump between the first half of the show and the second half of the show. The first half of the show is much more about the individual boys kind of overcoming their inhibitions or overcoming kind of personal barriers that they've put up for themselves and becoming more authentic, more true to themselves, and also becoming closer friends. And then the second half is putting on the performance and it's much more centered around uh, Kota the sort of the main character I guess but he's like the everyman character at the beginning yeah. who ends up being brought into this world of kind of interesting attractive people and he feels like he doesn't really match up to them so I, I found that really relatable oh I so think did I. A lot of people sure. will <laughs> yeah I think a lot of people will um so I really enjoyed both halves but I completely see that there might be a chance you'd enjoy one half better than the other and certainly in terms of feminist themes the first half is the heavyweight um there's a lot that i really enjoyed about it though and i got to the end and i just wanted to rewatch from the very beginning i wanted to see them become friends again and kind of the first half almost started feeling like a prequel to the second half and i love i love prequels so kind of going back and seeing how it all began was I I really appreciated that they made it a show that I would find rewarding on rewatch. It is so fun watching you realize that you actually like
2: shojo, and I can't wait to watch this continue over the course of the next few years as I throw
0: more titles at you. I have never not liked Shoujo. Because... Because... I don't want to be really clear on this. No. Fruits Basket was like formative for me. Okay, it's not I, it...
2: okay. I shouldn't say that you that you that you've said in the past that you have dislike shojo, but you've talked about how you have a hard time getting into a lot of it. Um, that, you know, growing up, your formative titles were more were more the kind of shounen type things. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. That was all I meant. So, like, the fact that two of your favorite shows this season were Sanrio Boys and, and School Babysitters, I'm like, oh, look at Amelia. <laughs> I cannot wait to show you more shojo. This is going to be fun. Um, I've, yeah, always, I like I've Boys. always
0: enjoyed shoujo, but I have o- I found it hard, I think, to find the stuff in shojo that I like,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: tends to be more character-driven. And Sanrio Boys is quite character-driven. School Babysitters, not so much. Um, that's more to do with the fact that I have much younger siblings myself. I've got one sibling who's 11 years younger, one who's 14 years younger, one who's like 19 years younger than me. <laughs> so I've, I've been that older teenager looking after a two-year-old a few times and it's mm-hmm. I, like it was really recognizable what this, this kid's going through on screen and so that really connected me with that story. But in general, I don't have that experience watching cute shows about cute people and I've been really pleasantly surprised with how character-driven some of these shows have been. And Sanrio Boys completely took me by surprise. And I'm very open to recommendations of similar Shoujo that, mm-hmm. that approaches character development in in a comparable way.
2: Oh, yay. I'm going to get you that list. Um, <laughs> can't wait. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I also finished Sanrio Boys. I, I liked it. I liked the first half a lot better than the second. I think it kind of, I think my only, the second half was what I thought Sanrio Boys was going to be, which was a pleasant uh, cute boys doing cute things and having emotions while they do cute things type show, um, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. Like I, I have, I have, I think I've made it pretty clear in my, on my own blog over the past few years that I like those kinds of shows. So that wouldn't have been an issue. Um, but the first half was seemed very thematically focused on uh, kind of challenging these traditional ideas about masculinity and a lot. Of, and that gets pretty much dropped in the second half. Like I kept waiting for them to run into some kind of pushback with the school. Um, yeah. Or that the play would incorporate the Sanrio stuff more obviously, and there would be there'd be something there, you know, some kind of conflict. And there really isn't. It, it becomes a very just sort of personal Coda uh, is struggling with his self confidence sort of story, which again, like you said, very relatable. Um, it was just it was a shift that I I think the show because the first half did seem like it really wanted to dig into those those sort of progressive ideas. Um, it was a little bit disappointing for me but it was still i still had a good time it was a cute show i i like that i think it skews kind of young i think you could show it to a preteen very easily and they'd enjoy it a lot um, and i think some of the some of the parts in the second half that maybe struck me as a little melodramatic i kind of had to take a step back and go no this show is for a younger audience and the characters shouting their their emotions like this is that's that's good that's going to resonate so um, I appreciate it. I loved it.
0: that part. <laughs> I really loved that because I remember being a melodra- melodramatic teenager all too well, and yeah. I absolutely would have been screaming emotions like that. <laughs> Peter, did you watch this one? Nope. That's fair. <laughs> you quite like the you quite like the beginning, right?
1: Uh, yeah. I definitely The beginning resonated. Yeah, it did, and I definitely I respect what at least it sounds like the first half actually uh, was trying to do. <laughs> I, I think that's very powerful and an important thing to say. Um, it's just the anime itself didn't really resonate with me, so I didn't make yep, it too far. entirely fair. Mm-hmm.
0: And in terms of what you're talking about, Dee, with the pushback, completely agree, completely get that. I know Vrai mentioned one, in the mid-season check-in, I think Vrai mentioned wanting there to be a male character like Yu's younger sister. Yeah, really? yeah, I kept waiting for Who... something like that yeah and there never really is anything the second half is all about how once they found each other they've got this strong community around them and it's very supportive and it's it's really warm and fuzzy but especially with with some of the themes in the first half where they're really drawing a parallel between liking Sanrio and being perceived as gay and like they don't do anything with that in the second half at no, all they don't they don't they don't explore that in the slightest um, but it's it's fun in the first half and their relationships are really sweet. And I enjoyed the whole thing, just to reiterate, I really, really enjoyed the whole thing, and I do look forward to re-watching it. Mm-hmm. Um and that has taken me by surprise oh, in man. itself.
2: And one thing I will add is the manga is ongoing. This is an adaptation of an ongoing manga. So we probably oh, we probably just hit like the kota arc. Um well I don't and I also don't know how closely the manga the anime follows the manga. Um, so it's totally possible that the series will come back to those themes, and we just ended the series on a, on the Kota arc because it made kind of a nice capstone. Um, yeah. But yeah, there is a the, this was technically based off the manga, which started running in 2016. So, oh, um, I didn't. Know that. So yeah, there's there's definitely a possibility that the original story will come back to that.
0: We just didn't get that in the anime itself. I would really like to see a sequel for this one. I'd love to go hang out with those characters again. Yeah, I'd be all right with it's... that. <laughs> I'd, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> so soon today, be <laughs> Right, the Damipri Anime Caravan, I started watching and I haven't been able to finish yet because I don't have a High Dive subscription. So once uh, it stops being new, I'm going to absorb the whole thing on High Dive all at once because I really <laughs> enjoyed it. And it doesn't sound like there's any reason I shouldn't.
2: Uh, there's one kind of big caveat that I always hit people with Oh no. just to start things off. <laughs> episode eight, There's it's a one-off single episode uh like storyline there's the villain at the end is a gay pedophile and it's very bad it's it's played as like a big joke and it's really unpleasant could anime just stop making jokey pedophile characters that would yeah. really
0: be helpful
2: i love that Actually. that would just make our whole job a lot easier really two in a <sighs> season two that's it feels mm. like a low bar and yet uh <laughs> thankfully <laughs> to
0: clear it twice in a single season yeah excellent
2: um I mean thankfully it is it's a one it's a one-off character who never shows up again before or after. So you could theoretically skip the episode. There's some character development in there, but I guess you could you could theoretically skip it. It started off and I really thought it was going to be like the next Oron High, like I was very very excited about, not not the next Oron High, like Oron High, but with Otome games, like that very loving parody of the tropes and the a main female character who really has no no time for this this uh, this tropey bullshit. And it followed that for the most part, it never quite hit the heights that I think I maybe had set for it myself, probably unfairly at the beginning so it it struggles a little bit to develop its characters as it goes and it rushes through some of it it gets a little more dramatic and plot driven at the end and i enjoyed it but it was a little it was a little rushed i still liked it a lot though um for the most part again other than that one big caveat it was a lot of fun uh there are some very good uh sort of jokes and takes on the the shoujo the shojo otome like reverse harem genre um there's a hot springs episode that is inspired. And then, like, another episode where the guys keep trying to ask Ani to dance, and it keeps going. It's like every trope in the book, and then they all go horribly awry, um, which was also very fun. So I enjoyed it quite a bit. It didn't quite, like, enter that top tier of... Really great anime shojo comedies that I that I keep on a shelf and look at and smile and and caress sometimes when I'm having a bad day, um, <laughs> but yeah, I still really liked it a lot. Ani continues to be great. She's the the main the female protagonist and she's she's wonderful. She's the she's the best thing about the show. And I liked the guys too, but she's just she won't put up with she doesn't put up with her crap. She's diplomatic.
0: She reminded me of the classic Lloyd caretaker. Is that a fair comparison?
2: She's not as uh, Kanaya is very the uh landlady is m- it's much more temperamental like she will go off on you. Uh, Ani is very sort of diplomatic and aware of her position so she won't put up with crap but she's also very polite about it. So they' they're a little bit different in that sense but there is that sense of them as they're, she's kind of she's kind of the straight man around the guys but then she'll also have these very good bursts of being sort of an awkward goofball herself. Um, (laughs) she, the story does a nice job of, it does that thing that, that all Otome game adaptations do because it's, it's kind of just part of the genre is you give the boys a chance to be sort of like romantic heroes doing romantic heroic type things, but it does a really nice job of balancing that with Ani not really needing them to. So, like, Narek shows yes. up and, and bursts open. She gets kidnapped. She basically rescues herself. She gets to the main doors of the mansion where she was kidnapped, and they're locked. And she's like, dang, I wish Narek was here. He's really good at just bursting through doors. And Narek shows up on the other side and bursts through the door. And she's like, cool. And so, like, she could have found a way out on her own, but it's like, you know, it's nice that he helped her out. And so you get that, that little moment of, like, oh, well, it's, it's, it's sweet of you to care about me, and you've got to do something. But it didn't feel like she was ever damseled, and I appreciated that so that's good yeah no I look forward to catching up with that. yeah it's again it I named it my problematic fave this season um it's a fairly tame problematic fave but uh you know again it did have that one that one big issue in episode eight but
0: otherwise (sighs) it was fun because uh school babysitters was my problematic fave so we've actually got two whole pedophile characters in our problematic phase <laughs> uh, for anime feminists. This, this season that's not a position i thought we'd be in at the beginning of the season no, i have to say it's, yeah it was it was a surprising season in a lot of ways well let's move on to something that was surprising for me personally mm-hmm. was a place further than the universe and i went into this i actually started a um tweet thread i was gonna live tweet it i was like ugh cute girls doing cute things, ugh, can't be bothered, not interested. And I was snarking about absolutely everything for about 15 minutes. And then I completely turned around and by the end I was saying, I'm so sorry, this show's amazing. And it hasn't let me down. It is such a strong show. I think we all agreed on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
2: fantastic. I, I had tentative hopes for it, not necessarily because of you know the visuals or the PV or anything like that. Um, I knew it was being directed by Ishizuka Atsuka, Atsuko. And I'd seen some of her previous work where she was adapting mediocre material and making it look really nice. And I was like, okay, if you get your own project, this could be great. And I was right, which is awesome. So she was the director for this one, and it's... It's fan. It's really, really, really good. It's I, I hesitate to use the word perfect, but it's very close to just being a perfect coming of age story about these five girls, um, going to Antarctica. Like it's really excellently. Every episode has its own sort of emotional beat, which all kind of come together to form this um, entire arc. Every character gets their own story. It's really well done. So I said five, four, the four girls.
1: Uh, Megumi gets her conclusion. Yeah. yeah,
2: and then there's
0: and then there's yes. Megumi, her friend. So, she, yeah, she gets a little, a little arc, too, which is great. Yeah, I was really surprised they and fit that was... in at
1: the end. That was really good.
0: Mm-hmm. I was waiting. I was waiting to see her in some form. I was like, that was the one thing that hadn't yet quite been tied up at the end. And I was so... It took me by surprise, like, what they chose to do with her. Yeah. It was... I thought it was lovely, her finally being influenced by Kimari. Yeah, that was excellent. The whole show was just excellent. Um, it... The whole show was excellent. Because you suggested I do the write-up for this one. Um, My first thought was just, I'm not worthy. (laughs) I found it really hard to try and list things that are good about it. Because it is so strong. And the things that stood out to me may not necessarily be the things that stood out to somebody else. And we would both be right because there is so much to choose from that it gets right. That it does well. So, yeah, for me it was all about the character development. It was all about their interactions. The story craft of this show was just exquisitely done mm-hmm. it was beautifully like the, the dynamics between the girls were just beautifully handled it was never it was never melodramatic it was always completely plausible grounded conflict it came out of the characters it was completely in keeping with their surroundings with their relationship to date it all made sense mm-hmm. and it really resonated and there were moments when you'd watch them on screen and be like that could have been me and my friends like twenty years ago, twenty like, years ago? I'm like, yep, twenty <laughs> years ago. <wow." laughs> Moving on. Um Peter, what was the what was the kind of general fan reaction like to a place better than the universe? Because we've built up our own little bubble about it now, but I'm not sure if that view is shared beyond our, our lovely Anna walls.
1: I think the show did pretty good. Um I would say that like, you know, outside of the Anna Twitter and Reddit bubbles, uh it certainly doesn't have as large of a following, but I, I wouldn't say it was unpopular either. It's good. Like it wasn't like a, a super power show. Uh, it's definitely not as good as being on Anna Twitter for five minutes would imply. Um, but yeah, it did I think it did pretty good.
2: Well we'll just have to keep shouting about it and hopefully more people will find it. Um, yeah, there's two two kind of things I wanna point out and I I keep on harping on this, but it's it's really important to me. This show doesn't fall it all of the characters are incredibly well defined and it's yes basically never has internal monologues and that is a I don't want to call it a crutch because I think that you can use intern I think there's some people who are like oh you shouldn't use internal monologues in visual media and I think that's kind of silly so I don't want to act like like that makes it better but I do think that it is a little bit trickier to get character character across especially if you're if you're juggling an ensemble cast with this show basically did mm-hmm and it was just between the the animation the character interactions i mean it was it was really really well done
0: it is really multifaceted it's never it's never one note i mean so many episodes made me laugh out loud as well as cry as well yeah, as yeah. analyze and appreciate it from that perspective and it it was just so well rounded it blew me away week by week and i don't think there was ever a week where i was disappointed I was a little bit grossed out in the episode where they're all just really seasick for the entire time, but <laughs> apart from that, and that was, even that they handled really well, and I've got a real squick about I loved vomit. I love that. And it, yeah, yeah
2: I love that episode though because I think it. I think so many times when you get shows like this, um, they don't really talk about the, the the unglamorous aspects of the adventure, the fact that the adventure is going to have parts that are going to be, you know, boring or um, you know un cute uninteresting or just or just straight up like unpleasant yeah and so i really enjoy that they basically spent an entire episode where it was like well we have to be miserable now we made it to the thing we wanted to do but we're gonna be miserable and then they
0: called back to it in the final episode and said well you know that's just part of the journey and it yeah that sums up the show in some ways the the gross throwing up sums up the show it's just their approach to it like you said it's not just all about being cute it's not just all about like having fun And I, Mm -hmm. I completely misjudged it. I completely mischaracterized it when I thought it was cute girls doing cute things. Because Kimari kind of, in that first episode, she comes a little bit close to seeming like that type of character. But it just disabuses you for that notion very quickly. And... It progresses her relationships with the people around her very quickly. I think from episode two onwards, I was, well, from the end of episode one onwards, I was completely sold. And every week I looked forward to it. That was one of the few I watched week by week rather than catching up in three, four week chunks. So mm-hmm. good.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the show surprises you uh, in a lot of ways with the character archetypes it kind of seems to be calling up to before showing you that they're an actually realized character. Like uh, when yes. when Hanada was first introduced, I thought she was going to kind of be the comedic relief uh, because her, her reasons for mm-hmm. joining and the suddenness with which she joined the group seemed very, uh, it just happened. Uh, so I thought that, and all the other, the three other girls, I mean, this, this progressed even when they introduced the, um, oh my God, what's her name? Uh, Shirai-shi. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, shirai Shirai-shi. is. Uh,
0: um, shirai Who's that? Shirai, Shira, she's yeah, the yeah, idol music. The, the, the oh, the, Yuzuki. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah they, it's, they,
1: they refer to them by both first and last name a lot. So I think uh, with watching it, you stick with either their first or last names randomly through with different characters. Um, but e- e- yeah. even mm-hmm. at that point, I thought when they introduced Shiraishi, I thought that like she had a more like narrative reason for coming along and Hinata didn't quite, she still felt out of place. Um, but then you kind of realize um, some of the baggage that she's carrying later on in it, and she ceases to be like the goofy character and you gets her own like subplot as well. So I, I thought that was a really good way to handle it. And when she could have just, they could have been lazy and just made her the character who likes to goof around and tease people.
0: That's the thing, isn't it? They could have mm-hmm. had they could have taken easy options at yeah. every step of the way and they actively chose not to. There was one beautiful scene that I tweeted about between Shirase and Hinata. Like there was no reason for those two to spend time together, really at that point. They hadn't. Shirase and um Kimari was kind of the leading relationship at that point. Mm-hmm. We, we could easily have spent more time with them, kind of reflecting on their journey so far and whatever. And instead it put these two characters who have really different ways of managing conflict in a room together. And conflict just came out of the fact that they handle things differently. And it was Mm -hmm. just such a real moment. And it was so unnecessary in terms of like, they, they made work for themselves as writers. They made work for themselves as creators. And I really appreciated that they did that because by the end of the series, you've got this cast of fully fleshed out characters with really distinct personalities and motivations and goals. And they and relationships to each and relationships other relationships too, which with I each really And it's yeah. not even just the teenage girls. We've got these adult women who are mm-hmm. scientists, who are um, like parental figures in Shirase's case in some ways. and Shirase has two moms. It's canon. It's canon. <laughs> and it's even those characters who get introduced a bit later and they're not teenage girls and they're in these kind of big pre-established groups and we still get to know them the cook I really enjoyed her character Mm -hmm. and you just get to know them because the show makes a point of giving you ways into building a connection with them if that makes sense
1: yeah
0: no I totally I agree with you for sure I, I was just so blown away by it yeah such a it's really rich it's really good it's really good yeah it's
2: it's consistent throughout I don't think there was ever a down episode like you were saying yeah. it's just it's it's great but Amelia but Amelia mm-hmm. is it feminist
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, I had What a fun question. To. What a fun question that is. I love answering that question. And I know, everyone loves that question. So it's the, the best. answer, you should go to our very own Caitlin Moore's website, HeroinProblem.com, <laughs> that's heroin with an E, and you should look up her slides for her presentation, Is This Feminist and the Problems within that question. Um. <laughs> that's my answer.
1: <laughs> uh, one more thing I wanted to bring up is uh, I thought that, in addition to like all the character stuff, A Place for the Universe really felt like sort of a modern story in the way that it handled uh, the way we communicate through technology. Um, that was one of the things you read that a really piece on this, yeah. didn't you? Mm-hmm.
2: Both Place Further and Laid Back Camp, I think, did a really good job with that. That's another weird parallel yeah. between those two shows. But uh,
1: uh, I think, like, the only time I've ever seen there be such a distinct use of technology was maybe uh, Voices of a Distant Star uh, by Shinkai. Uh, I was thinking, about. Yeah, oh yeah, it's not only. Oh,
2: that's another. That's another story that wrecked me yeah. a little bit. Yes, so. that one's a bit yeah.
1: harsher. But uh, the the it's not only the contents <laughs> of the messages, but also the way that they use the. The technology, one of the most impactful moments in the scene is when those two girls just leave the chat without saying anything at all. Uh, it's not a message, yeah. but you kind of get why they did that and what it means for their relationship just through that action. Um, mm-hmm. The way that you can convey uh, emotionality through text and the pace at which people reply to you having connotations beyond um, just the the actual message that is that you eventually receive. And of course, uh, should I say... Um, sending emails to her mother
2: to her mom yeah. throughout the story yeah Whew. yeah um yeah. peter you reminded me of the one other thing i wanted to mention earlier uh, a place further is one of those anime i'm not sure why this triggered it but it's one of those anime that i think you could recommend it to non anime yes. fans yes. like very easily like people who have not watched anime before it's like oh do you like coming-of-age stories here's a really really good one yeah enjoy uh keep your tissues at handy <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: The barrier to entry is very low on this one. Yeah, I know
1: some people who watched it just because they were interested in Antarctica... And then they ended yeah. up liking everything else about it as well.
0: Because this why wouldn't
1: yeah. you? <laughs> how, how often do you get uh, a show about people going to Antarctica for any other reason or anything that really explores like it's almost like a documentary?
0: It was so well paced as well, yeah. because yeah. I thought for sure that it was going to be like either some huge journey just to get to Antarctica and just getting there would be the goal or it would be done really quickly. And then it would be all about their time there. And instead, it was pretty much 50 50. Mm-hmm. And it all felt really naturally paced. I was so impressed. Mm, yeah. Yep. We, it's just excellent. It's just excellent. Just watch it if you haven't. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten for sure. This. Yeah.
2: Is... I don't give out. I don't give out five stars on Anime Planet very often. And when Place Further Ended, I was like, no hesitation,
0: five stars. Yeah. That absolutely. Was, that was great. We can recommend so. this without caveats to feminist viewers. Yeah. For sure. I think. I, except if you're a bit sensitive to bereavement of a parent, I think that's the one thing I would. I would say be a bit kind of
2: yeah yeah if you just can't like personally it's very well handled but if that's yeah if that's a story that you just can't deal with right now then exactly that's i give this one a pass for now and maybe come back to it later but But, give it a pass because it
0: handles it really well yeah (laughs) that's the thing yeah (laughs) not because it's doing anything wrong it's because it's doing it well it handles it beautifully and you really feel it and it hits you hard so if that's something that's going to really upset you maybe step away from this one for a bit but otherwise Unconditional recommendation. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap up by looking at some of the shows that aren't, that didn't start the season. So we've got sequels and we've and got continuations. Yeah. So I, I haven't seen any of these. So if one of you just wants to start with your favorite. Hmm.
1: Favorite. <laughs> In... Come on,
0: Dave. Sure. Do it, D. I'll...
2: All right. I'll start. Classicaloid <laughs> is still really, really good, and it makes me sad that more people aren't watching it. Uh, it continues to be a absolutely wonderful Saturday morning cartoon that does a really, really good job of balancing very cleverly, goofy imaginatively weird storylines with these very nice character beats that are also kind of educational because they'll tie into uh the composers like real lives when they were you know their actual historical background um and sort of how that comes forward into their into the characters they are now uh what else do i want to say about it it's really really good it um it does this thing that i started to appreciate a lot in the finale of season two where it kind of blends a lot of the things i really enjoy about shonen and shoujo like narrative beats in terms of like, you know, bombastic last minute power ups and people saving the world with their feelings and it kind of merges all that together. Um, it treats its its female characters are all excellent. Um, I wouldn't say it's like uh, feminist forward necessarily, but I think it's very feminist friendly and the girls get to be as goofy and angry and cool as the guys do, uh, oftentimes more so.
0: And um, I love it. I love Classicaloid. People should go watch Classicaloid. Just, just to dig into that a little bit. You say the the sure. girls, but we're talking about characters as well who have female forms and past as male composers. Is that right?
2: Yeah, it's it's very hard to talk about because it's one of those. Yeah. I remember talking to Vry about this when I wrote an article. Uh, I wrote an article about the Girls' Day Out episode of yes. season one. I remember that. Um, and I remember talking to Vry and being like, okay, I need to come up. How do I explain... <laughs> A person who in a past life <laughs> was assigned male at birth, but then was uploaded into a new body that is assigned female birth. Like, what do we, do we have words for that? Because this is anime. This doesn't happen in the real world. Um, yes. So it's difficult to talk about. And I mean, I, I think overall, I think it handles it really well. I think it's very chill about it. There's um, one of the, what I feel very confident calling her a woman, Litz, um, was, you know, a in his, in his history speaking, um, was identified as a a man, um, and gets reborn into a, uh, what we would traditionally consider a female body and is totally chill with it. And is like, yeah, no, I'm a woman. It's fine. No big deal. Um, and then, but then like Tchaiko, who, uh, Tchaikovsky, Um, is a little less uh, pleased with it, especially because uh, they are 16 and cannot drink vodka. So there is, and they, and anytime they're not, anytime they're not like doing their idol thing, they're wearing like a bald cap and one of those like belly warmers and just like complaining about everything. And they're wonderful. And I'm using they because I'm not sure what pronoun to use for Chico because again, anime, um, I Yeah, again, I wrote a piece about some of the early episodes. They don't really dip into that well as much in season two, but I still think they do a really good job with the characters and being sort of respectful of that that line there and kind of letting them all sort of be themselves, I guess. And
0: I really appreciate that about it, for sure. Great. It's, it's one of those that, I, again, you've recommended it so many times that I'm like, I should watch more of this. And I did actually watch the Girls' Day Out episode because of your piece. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed Aww. it. And it didn't require me to have any particular advanced knowledge of anything. <laughs>
2: no, it's a it's it's some it's the second season has a little bit more of a narrative through line okay. um, as far as it's it's mostly about uh, Wagner joins the cast and he has some insecurities about being like unwanted or, or quote unquote botched as a classicaloid. Um, and so that's sort of the, the narrative through line of season one. Um, But a lot of it is is episodic goofiness that sort of zeroes in on one or two characters and so yeah it it is possible to kind of it really reminds me of a show that would have aired on Saturday morning when I was a kid and I would have had a really good time with it and so I think I appreciated that about it too It's just that that bombastic energy I
1: guess
0: speaking of shows we watched as kids. Captor sakura came back
2: yes it did i'm behind peter are you caught up on this yep. one
1: uh it's
2: is it still
0: has, girls giving have each have other things, compliments and making yeah have things and, happened yet <laughs> uh
1: yeah i, I mean it's definitely <laughs> okay. setting up what is going to happen i think uh you kind of
0: things aren't happening yet but it's setting up things to happen at well, some point Well, pretty much in they the introduced
1: that new character who um you i mean you know something important is going to go on with her because she's there at all and yeah, now they they kind of true. had some scenes with her where you find out a little bit of what's going mm-hmm. on it's not too clear yet but it's kind of setting up the the antagonist I think I don't know how much I should give away no that's yeah
0: that's fine I mean I, I struggled with this and it seems like I'm not alone in this one in that I really wanted to see kind of the card fights and, and that's such a small part of the episodes I saw it seemed almost incidental to the main plot of Sakura and her friends are really sweet to each other.
2: Yeah. Sakura's very competent now and like I, I like I appreciate that the show has allowed her to grow as a card captor. Um, but it does mean that the the conflicts with the cards are very low stakes because she's just got this. She's fine at yeah. this point. I, I have a feeling because I think the first season was also paced similarly. I think there was a little bit more conflict in each episode, but I think the pacing was was somewhat like this as well. It's been a long time since I watched it. Yeah, I have so I'm kind of memory. waiting and wondering if binging it might be a, good, a better plan because then maybe I won't feel like week to week nothing is happening. <laughs> um, also, this season just had so many yeah. chill, healing, pleasant shows so i sort of dropped off because of that but i i might i think i'll probably come back to it at some point i, I would like I to know.
1: mention calling it right now that uh card captor soccer is actually a crossover with one piece um since there's a character <laughs> okay. whose middle name is d and uh a lot of importance is um kind of given to the fact that his middle initial is d uh it's specifically called out and as we all know one of the most <laughs> important aspects narratively in one piece is the will of d so um I think it's
0: and an anime feminist for that matter. Yeah,
1: ba- Basil D. Hawkins uh is a character in One really. Piece who uses cards, so I'm sure that he's somehow found his way uh-huh. into the Card Captor universe. And I'm calling it now, so just p- so when it happens, I can say that I was right. Please note, yeah, yeah. no, that, that sounds prediction. like it's canon, yeah.
0: definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, shonen jump card capture Sakura, I would actually be very interested in. so yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: I would watch that in a heartbeat. Okay, the last, the last two that we've got listed to talk about let's start with march comes in like a lion because peter I, I know this is kind of your your version of classic lloyd to, as what classic lloyd is to d de- march is to you you've been talking about it for some time yeah saying you should all be watching and nobody this else show. will watch uh, it so, fortunately yeah. i think Sorry march has
1: that. a pretty decent following i know a, a couple people on twitter who are, are pretty into it um but yeah it's amazing uh, It actually just ended uh today with a double episode um after it took a break during the olympics and it, the second season has been even better than the first. Uh, it really got into, like, some of the side characters, like you find out about you know, there's Ray and these sisters and the sister's grandfather. It, it focuses on the grandfather and how he's, uh, like, inspired to take Better care of his health so that he can help uh, the sisters out until they're like of an age where they are more independent and they don't need to rely on him financially. Uh, just in this last episode, it did something amazing where uh, Ray's got this really tragic backstory with his adoptive family, where basically his talent and hard work kind of ended up tearing the family apart through no intentional purposes of his. It's just kind of how things rolled out, uh, and he decides to visit his adoptive mother, who was just sort of this silent observer to all this stuff happening. She was like the only character not given a voice, and uh, it's like a half episode narrated just by her um, as she kind of watched all this stuff happen and second guessed herself as a parent and uh, kind of like this really complicated relationship she had with Ray because she knew he was a good person, but at the same time, he was also. Um, she realized that her husband related more to Ray than anyone in their own family, and he was kind of really interfering with her family, but he was just trying to survive and be a happy person, and he was so considerate of them, she couldn't find any fault with him so that was just like the last half episode that's the last thing i got to watch before we started recording actually i'm gonna pick it up probably the moment we end um but it it's <laughs> very very well written i think it's i would actually uh compare it pretty much to a place for the universe in the way that it has a, it's very free of any problematic content all the characters feel fully actualized have very complex motivations uh and interactions with one another um i i Put it on that same shelf. It's just um, nobody's watching. Wow. It. Yeah, I yeah I, I consider them equal.
0: Bold statement.
2: Yep. I, I as soon as if somebody would freaking license the manga, I would pre-order that. In Absolutely. Um, I the only reason I didn't, I tried, I stuck with it. I watched the first few episodes, and I just found the uh directorial style very uh, exhausting. I guess sort of it's Shinbo a little bit and. It's got that sort of in-your-face style of his, and I just couldn't... I struggled with that, but I really
0: liked the narrative. So I would I would love someone to bring the manga over so I could enjoy that. Yeah. I actually saw the live-action film. Oh, yeah, recently, that was great. And oh. And I really enjoyed it, and I was like, that's it! Now I'm going to watch the anime, and I obviously haven't yet. But I do have plans to, to watch this one through. I feel like I owe this to you, Peter, because I've been saying for, like, months. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll watch March. I'll totally watch March. I'll definitely get around to it, and I haven't, so... Now, I'm actually going to watch March comes in like a Lion, and I will let you know if I agree with your statement that it is good as a place further than the universe. ok. those are Come that's that. a very bold statement. And I'd like the to... the live
1: action focuses almost exclusively on Ray. Uh, the yeah. anime gets much more into the three sisters, um his uh, like estranged adoptive sister, and some other like female and and like older characters that uh, surrounds all of them. So it's it's much more complete in that sense. The live action actually covered uh, the first um, the whole first season, twenty four episodes, and like maybe eight episodes of the second season. So it was a lot of content that it was pushing you through, and it, it really cut a lot of content from the side characters out to do that.
0: Understandably, mm-hmm.
1: but I also I thought it was good. I actually thought it contextualizes uh, the duel in the very beginning he has between him and his father uh, playing shogi. Uh, I thought it yes. contextualized it better in the anime with like the ramifications of him beating his father and, like, kind of their complicated relationship and how it was very traumatic to Rey to have to play his father in that way. I thought I did it way better than the anime, actually. It's such yeah.
0: a big thing to to drop into the first episode. Because it is the first episode, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like, like, the like the opening moment of the story. Thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah I, uh, but, like, somehow the, the live-action contextualized it much better. Um, yeah, the anime, I didn't quite get it until later on and you realize more about his relationship with his dad. And you're like, oh, man, that was awful that he even had to play him much less, like, defeat his yeah. dad and potentially prevent him from being promoted to the next level of a uh, uh, choki class.
0: I love, I mean, I love stories about about games, I guess. I really enjoyed you Hikaru go. no Go. I really enjoyed Chihaya Furu, And yeah. the live action made it it feel more about that kind of journey, that kind of almost kind of shonen protagonist way of, like, approaching it. But it wasn't just that. There was a lot more to His adopted sister does show up in the live action and she is interesting oh yeah Um, she's
1: one of the most fascinating characters i think
0: fascinating is the right word she was a character i found really compelling and i want to know more about her and i love that there's this how many episodes is march now like 50 episodes 44 i think i just looked I was checking to see if it had been licensed if the manga had been licensed yet and I got the episodes there (laughs) I think it I I mean I love it when this happens when you watch something live action and you just know there's like 48 episodes of of anime that you can dive into there's a manga series that you can dive into it's always really Mm -hmm. uh, really rewarding to be able to explore the same story through a different medium through from a different Mm -hmm. perspective sometimes and it's something i think i'm really going to enjoy with march once i actually commit to starting it which i promise i will
1: hopefully the manga gets translated but, yeah, it's amazing. I think uh, very, one of the re- most recent plot points is probably given me one of the most, like, complex emotional reactions I've ever had to media uh, in, like, in its entirety. And you
0: can't talk about it with anyone because none of us have seen it. Uh,
1: kind, yeah, basically. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's the, this, Something really happened, bad happens to a friend of uh, one of the sisters, and uh, she ends up needing to go to therapy. And you see that she visits her while she's in therapy. It's, like, in this farm where they kind of, there's, like, a lot of animals, and you get to help out on the farm, and you kind of, like, sort of, the idea is you kind of, like, are able to rebuild yourself there and then slowly reintroduce yourself into, like, social interactions with people your age. And you see that she's doing well, but you also see that she's not quite over it. And it's this really complex feeling of, like, optimism and just anger and resentment over what happened to her. It's it's pretty – like, I can't remember ever feeling, like, that complex of – like, it's so many emotions that you feel at the same time. Just at this kind of this situation mm. that it presents you with, it's really good. That's
0: really appealing. Mm-hmm. I need to I need to watch this. Yep. Yeah, it sounds good. And speaking of complex, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> ancient Vegas bride, um, that has been that's been a bit of a roller coaster. It, by the sounds mm-hmm. of it, I haven't been <laughs> watching it. It the first few episodes felt a little bit. They felt almost like monster of the week to me, and so it, I found it kind of hard to keep up and stay interested. Mm. But the last few episodes have sparked some really strong reactions, and I know you're both watching this one or have watched this one. Yep. Yeah,
2: we both finished yep. it. Yeah. I think we were both. I think we were
0: both very disappointed
2: with the final episode, um, and it's hard to talk about without diving into spoiler town. So. I don't particularly want to do a full podcast about Ancient Master's Bride, but we might have to at some point. I think the anime veered off in its own direction in the final episode and wrote a completely original ending. And I can't know that for sure because the manga hasn't... they It surpassed the manga, and so I don't know if they were building off of Yamazaki's notes or if they just invented an ending for themselves. It very quickly glosses over a lot of the big, serious, important things that had happened in the past few episodes. And shuffles the characters back to a status quo that it feels like the narrative up to that point had been challenging and trying to push them away from. Uh, so I hated the final yeah. episode.
1: Even worse, it, it went the opposite direction. It, you got whiplash because it didn't even bring you back to the status quo. It went the other direction entirely. It was it was traumatic. I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like I am very confident that that's not what's going to happen in the next manga volume. I think that's anime original. Yeah,
2: if it the the ending a hundred percent. Well, I shouldn't say a hundred percent because again, the the manga is is caught up. So they, the ending came before whatever's going to happen in the manga. If that is where the story goes, it's very bad storytelling. I I don't know any other way to describe it. Like there's been a lot of, a lot of setup in terms of pushing Chise towards acknowledging her own agency and self-worth and being more independent and the dangers of a codependent relationship. The ending of the anime really backtracks and again, sort of hand waves. Which I think is maybe what was more upsetting to me was that they pretended like, oh no, it wasn't a big deal.
1: Oh yeah, it felt insulting actually. The in the final episode it, where yeah, she says, now did. we're going to talk about how you betrayed me and tried to kill a child.
2: Yeah, and then they played it up like it's. They comedic. they
1: they converted to the chibi art style for that conversation, and I was like, what? Yeah. Did you actually do that? They're chibi right now, and she's like, why did you kill that? Like, try to kill that kid? I don't know. I guess it was an attempt to. Make it seem less serious because the context of the conversation was one of levity. It was bad. Oh, yeah, it was,
2: yeah. Again, I felt I. So I don't think there's any way to say this without sounding like I'm tooting my own horn. Um, so I guess I'm going to toot my own horn. <laughs>
1: Do
2: it. I I have watched and read. And studied so many freaking stories um, <laughs> over the course of my life that I, things I typically have a pretty good feel for how things are going to go. That doesn't—that's not to say that things don't surprise me; they do. Um, but I usually can feel like, oh, well, they're dropping these these nuggets, and this is going to get you know built on and addressed later. And the ending of Magister's Bride was so opposite what it felt like it had been building up to at that point that i felt betrayed and i don't know the last time i felt legitimately betrayed by a piece of fiction because i usually go oh no okay i saw that coming so yeah i hated the end i was so mad at that ending and i just i just pray the manga doesn't go there because if it does i have to burn all my <laughs> copies of the volumes and that's gonna be a bummer yeah.
1: i i that's why i'm confident that it was sort of anime related uh because you could already see the way Mm -hmm. wit was changing the story a bit to focus more on Chi and elias i think they thought that was like a good selling point uh it was if i'm being completely clinical about it uh that so they really leaned into the ship and uh, honestly that was probably a smart thing to do um because i just from my own observations that's what people were watching the show for uh, they wanted she say That that's what that's what it was all about. At least for uh, yeah. a good portion of the fan base. But yeah. I mean, I think both of us, when we saw the turn in episode twenty one, it seemed so well composed. Like it, you could look back at every single interaction they had and know it was leading toward that point. Then yeah. the the way it's. It basically sweeps all that work under the rug in the next two episodes. I feel like it, it, if Yamazaki put that much effort into creating that narrative turn, unless it's for sake of convenience or because there's only two episodes left, she wouldn't have just uh, gotten rid of all that work. It, it That's very—just the way that the series had unfolded. Like, I got so much respect. Uh, like, I, I respected Yamazaki already for the story she was telling. But after yeah, that moment, same. I was— She'd really earned I my was trust. was like, is this a masterpiece, so. actually? Uh, like, I, my, my respect for her balloons uh, when, in that scene, and then when I read it later in the manga, because it was released slightly afterward. And we, mm-hmm. even that scene was composed a bit differently, we talked a little bit about.
2: It was. Yeah, they cut they cut some of the harsher lines from the anime, I think, in an attempt to, so- to make their soft ending land. Um, but we'll see. Again, we don't actually yeah, yeah. know. It's possible that the manga will also make us very, very I hope angry. Not. But I sincerely hope not, because again, Yamazaki, I feel, has really earned my trust up to this point, so... We'll see. I yeah, guess right now I think
1: we're both just waiting for the next volume to come out.
2: But it sucks cuz now I can't I can't recommend the anime and I might not be able to recommend the manga and I've been very high on both of them for a while now. So You
0: can recommend 22. Um, episodes yeah, that's
1: that's what I was about thing. to say. I I can recommend yeah. the anime as a 22 episode series. I'd say the conclusion to episode 22 is very beautiful uh, because it it get it like covers a lot of Chisaye's backstory and she kind of gets a really good mm-hmm. emotional conclusion and then you just stop yeah. watching. At twenty two.
2: And I think it does I think it does a pretty good job of handling I think so many series really push towards that idea of like you have to forgive your parents. Yeah. Like no matter what. And I like that uh Magus's Bride it allows Chise to find peace, but it doesn't force her to forgive the, the the terrible things that her uh her mom did to her before that. So I yeah. I mean obviously uh, it's it's emotional. And I'm sure there are people who are going to have different reactions to it, but I thought they handled it, yeah, it well. Yeah,
1: definitely. I I th- that was a. A very good end.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shame about those final two yeah. episodes. <laughs> shame they never aired. Shame we never saw what happened yeah. next.
0: Well, that sounds like a good point to close on <laughs> this particular podcast. Yeah. Honestly, it's been a really that... strong season.
2: It's... Yes, a surpri- I would say a surprisingly pleasant season. I really didn't expect a lot to come out of it, and there was a lot of really
0: nice, fun shows. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And there's and there's there's a few that I feel like I could share with other people even if they're not oh, yeah, necessarily anime sure. fans. And I really appreciate that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, good season overall. Looking forward to Spring, which has, what, Ugh. 50 titles? So many. Yes.
2: And that's not counting sequels. That's just, like, that's that's new stuff in franchise oh, shows.
1: Well, Spring, it, it does <sighs> look, this season looks really good, though. I'm really excited about the season.
2: It looks well. There's certainly there's certainly quantity. Uh, now we'll see if there's going to be oh, yeah. quality as well. You never so. know
1: until it starts, I guess.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: again, I didn't expect much out of winter, and we ended up having some really
1: good yeah, shows here. For yeah. For sure.
0: Yeah, i have been really impressed, and looking forward to the next one. Although the next yeah. few weeks are going to be hairy <laughs> because we've got what 44 premieres that
2: mm-hmm. we're slated
0: to to cover. Yep. Yep. And diving in just a shout out to thank everyone who contributed to our campaign to sponsor the premiere reviews and to up our patreon we have actually been utterly successful with both goals we asked for 880 dollars to be able to cover these 44 premieres and we actually made almost double i think we're at 1720 dollars at the moment or something like that it's it's been overwhelming and our patreon is now very nearly, I'm just going to check quickly, but it's very nearly at $1,800, which is just $200 away from breaking even. That's yeah, close. We're $1,795. Last Saturday, we're, we're on Saturday now, and just one week ago, we were at $1,436. Not that I was paying attention. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's been really really touching how many people have come out and said no this is really valuable to us this is something we really appreciate we have a use for and we want to make sure that it continues and a lot of people have told us that and people are voting with their wallets for this so thank you so much we i I can't express enough gratitude for this but we will be keeping going with it we there was a time when we thought we might have to drop them or reduce them and and d and i certainly have discussed alternative ways we could approach it we don't need to We absolutely don't. We now have, as as long as our Patreon stays more or less where it it is. (laughs) is. Yeah. And and hopefully grows. Um, We are absolutely safe for premiere reviews going forward. So thank you to everybody who contributed to that. Very much appreciated. Yes. Thank you all so much.
2: Okay. And tell your friends. Tell your friends about us. Maybe they'll want to throw a couple bucks at us too. We only need And then we can bring you more content.
0: One dollar a month. And on that subject. (laughs) So you can find (laughs) our work at animefeminist.com. You can find us on twitter at anime feminist you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash anime we've got a tumblr animefeminist.tumblr.com and as mentioned we do have a patreon and this is patreon.com anime feminist all of the money that we use, it's actually listed on our Patreon page where every dollar goes. And I've now even added in like 10% to go towards Patreon fees. Like I've really broken it down. So you can see that almost all the money goes to paying people. Anything that isn't Patreon fees basically at the moment goes to paying people. Once we pay everyone for everything that they do, it will go towards hosting. Like we, $2,000 is our breakeven number. We're not quite there. So you know exactly where your money is going to. It's going to creating content. It's going to the people who are creating that content. And I'm constantly impressed by the work that the team does. I'm really proud of what Anime Feminist achieves. And it's only possible because we do have patrons and every dollar counts. I cannot emphasize this enough, $1 a month, absolutely contributes to keeping us running to keeping us producing all of this work for you and if you give us five dollars a month then you get access to our exclusive anime feminist discord server where we can have conversations like this all day every day if you would like so if you can spare a dollar a month go to patreon.com anime and help us continue our work Thank you so much to Dean and Peter for joining me today. This has been a really interesting discussion. Run slightly long, but I think you'll all agree it was worth it. Probably next season's is going to be about three hours long, so look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh.